I'm a sucker for a lot of things, but throw together a psychological horror mystery time loop storyline and make it an anime? I'm all aboard, baby. When I heard about the premise of summertime rendering, I needed to binge it all in one sitting. But then I remembered that I have a three-year-old and a four-month-old, and I guess I have to actually raise them, so I'll binge it slightly slower, I guess. As I was watching this new anime, I quickly noticed some striking parallels with a familiar lament from the Bible. How well do we know ourselves? While the characters in the show are literally being killed by themselves as ghost-like shadows, don't we tend to get in our way pretty often? This nerdy sermon will discuss how we can learn to avoid shadow sickness other than just staying off of the island to begin with. Let's talk about it. Folks, welcome to Checkpoint Church, where nerds, geeks, and gamers come together to talk about faith games and trying to make it through this video without looking over my shoulder for a shadow person. I am your nerd pastor, Nate. If you like these weekly deep dives, be sure to sub, hit that bell, and find out when our next one drops. Folks, we're starting something new with this video. We're going to be having a guest reader, one of our Level 2 members from Checkpoint Church. If you want to learn more about Level 2, we have tons of information on that down below. Uh, and today, it is going to be presented to us by Sneaky Pig, also known as Mike. I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. He's going to be reading from the NRSV UE. That's my preferred translation. It's what's going to be on the screen. With that, let's hear today's word from Sneaky Pig. Romans 7, 14 through 25. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want... I agree that the law is good, but in fact, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that the good does not dwell within me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do the good lies close at hand, but not the ability. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law, a war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members." Wretched person that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I am enslaved to the law of God. But with my flesh, I am enslaved to the law of sin. So what exactly is summertime rendering? Spoilers for just the first episode of this show. I don't want to spoil any more than that because I want you to watch this show because I am loving it. Shinpei is returning to his hometown of Hidakushima, a small island with a population of like 700. So crazy small, perfect setting for a horror show. It's been two years since he was last there, but why is he back now? Well, he intends to attend his childhood friend Ushio's funeral on July 22nd. Kind of a downer of a first episode, I know, but it makes for a great drama. As soon as he steps onto the island, Shinpei is greeted by a speeding Mio on a bike, Ushio's little sister. She is unable to stop and ends up falling in the water. And once she gets herself back together, the two reconnect as they walk back towards the funeral. As they're walking along, Mio reveals that the island now has a bunch of new people that she doesn't know. But lately, even the people that she does know are kind of feeling a little bit like strangers. Shinpei just guesses that maybe it's because there are tourists around this time of year, but <laughs> pretty sus thing to say. Once they arrive at the funeral, Shinpei tells the viewer that he lost his 
Ushio's parents 10 years ago and was taken in by the Kafune family, making Ushio not only a childhood friend, but family, too. At the funeral, another childhood BFF so hugs Shinpei and cries, explaining that Ushio tried to save a child, and that is how she died when she wound up drowning, except maybe there's more to it. So wants to talk later, and after explaining that, points out Shiori, who is a little girl that Ushio saved, but hasn't spoken since. Mm, it's getting weird, right? It's getting real weird. Later that night, Shinpei is preparing curry for Mio, her dad, and an honorary plate for Ushio, and as they're eating, we go outside of the house, and we see a police officer in town has noticed that Mio is standing outside of the house looking at it, but she's inside eating curry. Mm, I'm on board! After dinner, so calls Shinpei and explains that his father didn't actually perform an autopsy like everyone had been told, but that he was actually only there for the police's inquest. However, they did find marks on Ushio's neck, similar to strangling, making it more likely that Ushio was actually murdered not drowned. The next day, Shinpei goes to work at the diner of Mio's dad, and while he's there helping out a drunk customer, Nakamura, asks Shinpei if he'd found who he was looking for. But as far as we know, we've been with Shinpei the entire time, and we've never met this guy before. Mmm, it's getting good! The town police officer then walks into the diner and explains that all of the family of the little girl that was saved have vanished. In the morning, everybody went to go check and see what was going on, but for some reason, they're not there. Tetsu, the sheriff, says that he believes they may have fled during the night. Upon hearing this, Mio runs out of the store in a mad rush. Shinpei runs out after her, of course, and finally catches up to her. Mio then explains that she had talked to Shiori, the little girl, and she said that Shiori had told her she saw a girl who looked just like herself. We learn this is actually a superstition on this island called the Shadow Sickness. It's a disease endemic to the island. If you're taken by the Shadow Sickness, you start seeing your shadow. They look just like you. And all those who saw it died. They were killed by their own shadow. The shadow then pretends to be the one that it killed and kills the remaining family members. Mio reveals that three days before Ushio died, Mio saw Ushio's shadow too. Shinpei suggests that they go to Haruko to get cleansed. Haruko is the nickname for the Hito Shrine in the northern part of the island, and it's how you're supposed to get rid of the shadow sickness. Once they get to the shrine, Shinpei tries to open the door, but it's locked. Mio looks at the forest and sees a figure running. Mio states that she saw Shiori and makes Shinpei run. Shinpei ends up finding not the little girl, but instead the woman with glasses that he bumped into at the beginning of the episode. We all thought that was just filler and just kind of a weird intro to a show, but now here she is again from the beginning of the show, bleeding with a gun wound on the ground. The woman says that she failed and tells Shinpei that he must listen. But before she can finish talking, she gets shot, dead, right before Shinpei's eyes. Shinpei then turns to see that Mio is holding a gun against the temple of... Oh, well, another Mio. She then pulls the trigger and kills Mio. And then she points straight ahead and shoots Shinpei in the head, dead. End of show, right? Roll credits, we're done. It's a horror short, and I guess we're done. Ah, well, not quite. Suddenly, Shinpei startles awake and wakes up on the boat, starting us back from where we started the whole story. Now, I don't know about y'all, but just saying all of that made me want to go back and watch that first episode all over again. It's so good. The mystery, the setups, the possibility for huge payoffs. I love every minute of it. And this is just the first episode. There are still 20 more out right now to go binge, if you think this sounds curious, and the season's going to be done before too long, and I can't wait to see where it goes. But... The important question we want to ask ourselves in this video is what could this possibly have to do with our Pauline scripture for today? Well, this passage from Paul is one of the more complicated bits of paradoxical wordplay that Paul is known for. There's a lot happening here that we could dive into. Paul's establishing a third-party character in the form of the I that he is portraying in this instance. He's also doing work to make the law something passive and spiritual apart from humanity and sin. And he's also discussing the active life of grace in the controversial form of 
spiritual warfare. It's the latter one of these that we're going to be focusing on for this video. We're mostly going to focus on the middle part of the passage where the character that Paul is portraying laments that I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good, but in fact, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that the good that does not dwell within me, that is in my flesh. For the desire to do the good lies close at hand, but not the ability. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. So we have our main person in this situation. We'll call them Bartholomew or Barty. Barty knows the law, as in the teachings of God passed from Moses and the prophets. Barty also knows Jesus, who made the law fulfilled, not thrown out, but fulfilled, expounded upon, made deeper and more full. However, Barty still has this thing within them that feeds them temptation. We'll call this dark side or shadow side bad Barty or Babardi. Barty knows the good and wants to do the good. Babardi doesn't. When Barty tries to do the good thing that they want to do, but Barty notices and gets more involved in the situation. So Barty is in this constant battle of the mind, fighting to maintain the focus on the good thing that they want to do. But it's a war of attrition. So the better Barty is, the harder Babardi hits back. So it's a literal battle with what Paul calls the flesh, which some take to interpret our literal physical body, or we can call it a metaphysical affliction that we can simply call sin. Who can save us from this body of death, asks Paul. Well, it's only through Jesus, of course, and what Paul calls an enslavement to the law, which we've already determined the law is good and perfect. Paul says if we aren't enslaved to it, then we will be enslaved to Babardi. And nobody wants that except, of course, for Babardi. The key distinction here is that, unlike in a game like Celeste, the dark version of ourself in Paul's narrative is not just our imperfections that we need to learn to make friends with. Instead, the dark version of ourself is not actually us at all. It's an embodied form of pure evil incarnate that is just wearing our skin, that just looks and feels like us, but the flesh isn't actually you. It's something else entirely. In Methodism, we have this understanding of grace that's honestly a little bit easier to show you than tell you about, called the works of grace. We all start at the same place with prevenient grace before we even meet Jesus. So we'll call that right there prevenient grace. It's before we ever reach the cross. Then once we do meet Jesus and we accept him as our Lord and Savior, that starts what we called justifying grace. Once we enter into the next part of grace is where things start to get a little bit tricky. This is also where Paul arguably starts this passage that we've just started reading. This enters into the time called sanctifying grace. And there's a few understandings of how this could work. Some people think that sanctifying grace is really short. And we just immediately go up to the top of the board with this thing called perfecting grace, where we're perfect right away. Others believe that sanctifying grace is something that takes a, a lifetime. And it may or may not be possible to reach perfecting grace before we even pass to the church triumphant in heaven or not. So we'll call this prevenient, justifying, and perfecting. And then all this stuff in between here is sanctifying grace. Now, some people want to draw the line a little bit like this. And people just like to assume that sanctifying grace is this phase where we're going upwards, 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 every day getting better and closer and closer to Jesus and to the perfection that we're hoping for. But of course... This is not realistic, is it? 
because the truth of sanctifying grace is that it's actually a battlefield. A way more accurate interpretation of this whole thing would be like, some days I'm feeling really good and other days I'm feeling really bad and sometimes I go up, sometimes I go down, sometimes I even backstep and sometimes I'm doing really, really bad and then at the last minute, get way better, right? That's a way more accurate representation of what sanctifying grace actually looks like. It's a lifetime of a battlefield, of back and forth and ups and downs, hard days and good days, some that are easier to deal with than others. For this reason, we're in a constant need to pursue some kind of focus. Paul calls this focus enslavement. We can choose to keep our eyes on the prize and focus on perfection, as Jesus calls us to be perfect as my Father in heaven and I are perfect. Or we cannot focus and be unprepared in the battlefield. It shouldn't take too much to see how these two stories relate. The mystery of summertime rendering is a great allegory for the one that we're enduring after accepting Jesus. It's kind of like the shadow sickness in the show. Once we see our shadow self, they're gonna hunt us down. Once we see that who we are meant to be isn't the dark version of ourselves, it opens up something else entirely and sanctifying grace begins. It's a game of cat and mouse. And the best way to avoid capture in real life is to keep your eyes on the prize. I won't spoil how best to avoid the shadows in summertime rendering because I want you to watch and find out, but it's still important to recall this and to think of what this could actually mean for us today. So what can we take away from this conversation? Now, I know that the topic of spiritual warfare and grace being a battlefield is one that can likely be pretty quickly absconded by folks who want to stir up controversy and share some bad theology. But the truth of spiritual warfare is that it doesn't often find its focus in one thing or another being sinful, but instead, it's a battle within your own self. The best thing we can personally do is to be in constant check of our situation. Know what harms us or what distracts us. Take every effort to fight against those things. Focus instead on the things that Jesus calls us to do. Love your neighbor, love yourself, share extravagantly, live fully and deeply into the grace being offered up. But there is one piece of bad theology that I really want to tackle and address here. Don't believe that the shadow side is actually who you are. You are not your flesh. If you've accepted Jesus, Jesus, then you are something new and reborn. You are no longer enslaved to the sin that weighed you down. Don't let anyone, preacher or not, tell you that you are bad or that you are sin. Sin afflicts you as it afflicts all of us. But you, you're not sin. You're sacred stuff and you matter. And whether you're just coming home, whether you never left or are feeling a little bit lost right now, know that you're always welcome here at Checkpoint Church. Folks, thank you so much for watching this video. I so appreciate you taking time out of your weeks to join us on these weekly nerdy deep dives. If you want more of what Checkpoint Church has to offer, we are now streaming pretty much every day of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and every other Friday over on our Twitch. And we're also active every single day of the week in our Discord. I'll link both of those down below. We'd love to welcome you into either one of those places. And hey, quick question for you. As we enter into spooky season, what is your favorite kind of horror? Mine is just like summertime rendering. I love a good psychological horror. I don't need jump scares. I don't need gore. I don't need anything other than just a compelling villain. Uh, I just love it. I love it. And the more it messes with the mind, oh, I'm, I'm a sucker for it. With that, we're going to end this video as we always do with our three things that we believe to be true about every single one of you out there. Number one, we believe that God loves you, really, really loves you. Number two, we love you. We want community with you. That's what we're doing here at Checkpoint Church. If you're on our, our YouTube channel, on our Discord, on our Twitch page, we're doing that because we love you and want you to join this community. And number three, we believe that you, yes, you, I've already said it once, you matter. 
You are a person of sacred worth. The world is a better place. Why? Because you are in it. And don't let anyone ever tell you any differently. With that, folks, I hope to see you on our Twitch or our Discord or back here, same time, same place for another Nerdy Sermon next week. Until then, bye-bye! <laughs> I hit that chair so hard. Why? Who? Who? I hate this game. I love this game. I hate this game. And I love this game. Holy moly.